You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Hey, glad you're here. My name's Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm really excited to walk through a really interesting passage that um, I think might be applied as wrongly as any passage that we'll study in 1 Corinthians that people can misunderstand it and not understand some nuance in the middle of it. So I think that makes for some interesting time together, personally. We'll see if you guys agree by the time we're done. So um, here's going to be kind of a a presupposition coming into this, is that I just think that we tend to be change-resistant, all of us. So if you've done any kind of leadership at all, like any kind of organization, leadership, you know the organization, so it could be a church, a business, a school, anything really, uh, that we, we organizations are very conservative and tend to resist change, and, and so you can, if you've ever tried to lead through change, you can know that you're going to get a lot of weight. I don't, I don't want anything to change. I know what it is now, even if there might be something better out there, and so part of the reason why organizations are change resistant is because the individuals that make them up are change resistant, so we tend to, individually, uh, tend to to kind of push back on on uh, on change that uh, we know uh, we know our current realities and there may be some really broken parts of who it is that we are and we may even deep down know that those things ought to change uh, but but we can resist it and then sometimes we're just unwilling to even see uh, the truth of what is um, so I think we just tend to be uh, a bit a bit change resistant now I'm also going to tell you up front another um, just assumption and presupposition that I think will be proved out in this passage and that's that uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus intends to change, uh, change us to our core. And um, it's every area of our life, every single area. And you can see now then the fault line for conflict, can't you? If, if we are change resistant, we don't want to change individually, organizationally, all that. And then um, God is dead set on uh, changing you for the better, like transforming you, changing you. And like you can see where there's just going to be a regular war here, you know, between us and God. And oftentimes between us and one another. Um, he's dead set on it. We're going to resist it. And the specific area, I'm going to explain how this is going to go today. So the specific thing we're going to talk about today is what you could call friendly fire. Um, it's always an interesting term, I think. It's a military term where you may have casualties where, you know, your own military, you know, inadvertently, um, you know, wounds or, or worse, someone on, on their own team, you know, uh, while you're in the middle of a conflict. And this is really what this is, is Christians that get sideways with one another and the relationship toxifies to a point, probably they're in business together, probably, uh, gets bad enough that there gets to be a point when they both lawyer up and there's a lawsuit. And the spe- it's a very specific thing that the Apostle Paul's talking about today where um, things spin out of control with Christians on how they relate and a business relationship goes sour, sours so much that they have to go to you know courts of their land to resolve disputes. And you can just imagine how that conversation goes, okay, uh, Got the plaintiff. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us what um, you know. What's um, what's your relationship with um, this person that you're suing? And you're like, well, we knew each other from church, and that's where we got to know each other, uh, our relationship. And then we went into business together, and then that person, you know, and then it goes from there. And so they would know that the whole nature of that relationship were these Christians, and these Christians just couldn't get along, and it went totally sideways, and uh, got really ugly. And so um, that's going to be the first thing we're going to talk about is, um, is you know, relationships. And I love that the Bible gets this practical. I mean, so much of First Corinthians already 
has been, it's not only dealing with 30,000 foot, I mean, here's some theology and stuff about God, it does that, uh, but it's also getting down to like the real stuff about relationships, and um, and, and particularly when relationships go south, I love that. But then um, at the end of the passage, it's going to say, okay, so now let's leave leave the lawsuit conversation, but broaden it to other areas of our life that God intends to transform, and he's going to remind us of what's true about us in the middle of that. So let's just start working back through it, talk about this friendly fire, and um, about our, our need for change in different kind of perspectives, even in our relationships. So let's work through, back in verse 1. I'll start reading through it again. Um, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law um, before the unrighteous uh, instead of the saints? So in other words, you're going out and among non-believers um, and asking them to settle disputes uh, among Christians where something's went sideways. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? So this is just saying, hey, think, think of your destiny, and this won't be the last time this happens today, where it's just going to be a reminder of, think how all of this ends. We're going to be, along with God, really judging the world. I mean, like this is, like you, you are heirs of all things uh, because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? So it's just saying, you're going to stand alongside uh, of Jesus and judging the world, all, all of the world that's rejected Christ, and, um, you're, and that's, that's kind of a crazy thought to begin with. And so this is what you are. You're heirs. You're sons and daughters of God and, uh, that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And you, um, you're heirs of all that he has. And you will, you will stand with him uh, for all of eternity. And, and here we are that we can't quite navigate a dispute that's went sideways in business. Like we can't, we can't figure that out. That even though this is your destiny, come on. Verse 3. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? It just keeps going on on this. Like that's, that's where this whole thing's going. How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So again, this is your destiny uh, that um, if you think about like Satan and other like angels that have, have went against um, God and all that, like we will again stand with God in that judgment and we can't figure out um, how to navigate a conflict. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute um, among brothers? Uh, But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? So in a lot of ways, this builds on what Kenan talked about last week in chapter 5. We're going through 1 Corinthians. If you're like, why why are we talking about this today? This is my first time. Well, this is wise, because chapter 6 comes after chapter 5, and we're working through 1 Corinthians this fall. And Kenan talked about this, that it was a really interesting um, passage as well, saying, hey, we spend a lot of time talking about how bad the world is out there and what all's wrong, a lot of hand-wringing about, I just don't know about the world today. And I mean, fine, fair enough. Uh, But he's like, hey, before we just start talking about how wild the world is, why don't we start with our own house and talk about the church? And um, this is one of the biggest points that a lot of us in here may have felt before about Christians feeling like they're up here and we've got all this like really terrible stuff going on, but we're like, don't want to see it, aren't willing to acknowledge it, but we love to kind of judge all the stuff on the outside. That may be one of the reasons why a lot of us in this room that uh, maybe are just now venturing back into spiritual things that Christians have really rubbed you the wrong way. And so in this case, God and the Apostle Paul would actually agree with you in saying, hey, let's start with our own house before we have time to think about all the things outside. Let's look at the log in our own eye and get that out before we start um, you know, waxing eloquent on Twitter about all the things that are wrong in politics in the world. And so he, he's, uh, he's pointing that out. And in a lot of ways, this kind of carries on with this thought of, hey, let's, 
Let's again look internally here. So if chapter 5 was someone that was sexually immoral, chapter 6 is with Christians that are um, having all this dirty laundry that they can't resolve. And I'm sure people begin to take sides in the church. It fractures the church, and then it makes its way out into the world. Um, and in the middle of all the talk about how bad the world is, it's, you're having to lean on people there to resolve a conflict uh, between the two of you. Um, I'd like to make one other observation here, too, that it, he points out in verse 5. I think this is actually a really interesting case for mediation when conflicts have went, uh, went, go sideways. It says, Can there be, is there no one among you that's wise enough to settle a dispute? And I have some, when I think back to a few things that I've even been involved with that have went sideways, one of my regrets on some of these that have really taken steps down the line, not so much like businessy lawsuit kind of things, but just conflict, I think that bringing in a wise and godly person, and I have done this a few times, and it's always been the right call, bringing in a wise and godly person in as a mediator, someone that both, part, both parties trust, it's just incredible the kind of accountability that comes with a third party that's wise and godly, that some things that someone might say that might be kind of below the belt may not say whenever there's someone else there that they respect. And sometimes that person can even throw a flag and go, hang on now, let's get back to the topic. That's kind of an ad hominem attack. You know, that's a, you just made that personal. Let's get back to the offense here. Just you can almost direct traffic a little bit and keep things, keep things in the lane. And so this is just saying, man, are, could, is there not anybody among you that could mediate a, a conflict, especially among, among former friends that um, something has went bad in business or in their relationship? So, but again, this is where things are so hard. We've got our mindset, we've got a mindset, and, and it's hard to change whenever you, you feel aggrieved. We'll, we'll get more into that in a second. Verse 7, uh, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already, already a defeat. I'm like, if you've already gotten to that point where you can't work through some kind of a conflict, um, it's already, you're already, you've already lost. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Um, but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. So this is what's interesting is that... Um, and this is why I'm framing this in the context of, of change is really hard, is that I've been around a lot over the years, both in the church and out, of people where things go sideways in relationship and business or, or things along those lines. And what's interesting is, is a lot of times as a pastor, I end up in relationships with people on both sides of a conflict. And um, what's, what's really interesting to hear is how almost every time both parties feel aggrieved. Both do. And they feel like, man, here's all, and they can run through the laundry list of wrong on the other side of the equation, and uh, this and this and this and this, and this is why I've got no alternative, let's just say in this case, but to take this to court. And then the other person, you talk to them, and they're like, well, um, I've done these two things wrong, but I've done this and this, they've done this and this and this and this and this and this that I don't think were very fair either. And um, I feel like I've got I've to protect myself in this and, and so on and so forth. Or it may not even be legal. It may just be a, a conflict where all the friends kind of feel like they need to come alongside of one group or another. And, um, and so, and once you feel aggrieved, and by the way, all this same stuff can be true in close friendships, nothing to do with business. Um, and this might be some of the most, the best marital advice I've ever heard, because this is hundred percent the same dynamic in marriages that really begin to toxify where your arms are both crossed. And like, you can almost just see the contempt, um, on the body language and the tone and the eye rolls and the, you know, all, all the things. And so there gets to be a point where, uh, where 
where things can toxify so much that once you feel aggrieved, there's almost no changing your mind. Is you've been wronged, we've been wronged, and that's the end of the conversation. And then we interpret what they do in that framework, and um, and then both parties are doing it. And once that happens, it's really, really hard to change your perspective. And at that point, it's total war, and we're looking to burn it down. You know, and this is exactly what happened. This is what he's addressing. Now, I do feel like I need to say one thing before we move any further on this whole lawsuit deal is that at the very beginning, I mentioned that this passage is really misapplied. And, um, and I've seen this, this part right here, like there, there's this basic truth that we've already talked about, but hey, like be really careful that we don't take um, our dirty laundry and air it out there. Um, anything that we, um, we can work through, we probably should. Okay, so let's let that stand and we're gonna come back to that. But I've, I've seen this misapplied to things. Like for instance, I've seen where, um, where there is a, a, a crime that's committed against a Christian like a, a person, maybe a member of their church or another Christian that, that has some kind of like legit crime that they've performed against this person. And I've seen people weaponize this passage and to try to talk a victim out of like, uh, you know, pursuing, you know, pursuing, you know, legal recourse for that. In other words, like in a criminal setting, uh, trying to talk them out of pressing charges. And I think it would be a gross misunderstanding of this passage that if someone breaks the law, there are other passages that say that's actually, in fact, a God-ordained role of government is to bring the sword of justice. In other words, a punishment that if someone has committed a crime, that they, they should be accountable for that crime. And someone is not doing an unchristianly thing if you've had a crime committed against you to say, yeah, that, that, needs, to, that needs to run its course. There needs to be, uh, there needs to be just judgment, judgment and justice even in the here and now. And so I would say certainly in, uh, in criminal matters that, and this will happen sometimes, you'll even see like where there's a couple of Christians, they go to the same church and then um, someone embezzles money that that person oftentimes will, will get, uh, get some pressure. That was a, a criminal matter there, uh, a criminal matter and even like a, a civil case to try to recoup cash for that business. Their business may be in jeopardy. Sometimes people will come up and give lectures and quote these passages here to try to talk that. Sometimes even the, the, uh, the uh, perpetrator will even say, hey, don't forget, you know, you shouldn't be doing lawsuits. And um, I think it's a real misunderstanding of this passage that I don't think the criminal things would apply. And I think there are, um, are several civil type things where you just got to find protection, where someone just won't pay what they owe you and your business or your family are in jeopardy. There are times in which that you're going to need to lawyer up, you're going to need to go to court and protect your interests in that way um, whenever, uh, whenever there's been a wrong and there's no way to resolve it. And sadly, there are some businesses out there that the only time they will pay, their whole business model, is um, that sometimes this will happen on an insurance claim or a variety of means. I mean, there could be a lot of things out there where their whole business model is they're actually not going to pay until there's a lawsuit. Um, and they're just hoping a lot of people will just go away and throw their hands up and decide that they don't want to do it. And so there are some times where, where this passage would not apply, okay? So we, can we all wrap our mind around that, um, that we don't want to wrongly apply this? But it does apply. And so let's get back to the heart of this. Um, I think the question is, why not rather be defrauded? That's what this passage is saying, is that, again, when we tend to feel aggrieved, um, we're like, oh, no, you didn't. 
and um, there's like this big sense of I'm not going to be wronged. I'm, I'm like we most certainly are having good boundaries. It's just like that times a million, and all that matters is winning. And we're not going to let someone win this negotiation. We're not going to let them win this dispute. We're going to hold our ground. We're going to burn it down. And if they won't give in, we'll go all the way. And this is just an interesting question here, is um, especially where in a matter uh, like a, a business dispute. Wouldn't it, be ra- wouldn't it be better to be defrauded even? It, wouldn't it even be better to lose the deal, to lose the negotiation, to have the other person feel like they won and have your pride take a hit than to make Jesus and the church and the mission of God all look bad? Wouldn't it be better to be defrauded? I- again, if you want to apply this to marriage, um, where you have two people that are like both trying to like fight for like who's right in this argument and who's who's on the high ground here. Wouldn't it be be better just to say, you know what? I just defer. I, I'm going to own what I can own here, and I don't feel like I need to win this fight. Winning this fight might be a loss on the whole. And um, why, why, wouldn't it be better be better to be defrauded? Again, you can take that too far. Of course, there are times for boundaries. There are times for um, making a stand. And so um, this can play out in so many different ways. Like you can imagine, imagine like you've got someone, just give you a quick example before we move on, um, that imagine you've got um, a couple of church members that have developed a friendship in their gospel community. That's what they call their, our small groups here. And they develop a friendship and they're in a business and one talks um, the other one into investing in a special project or, or something like that together. And they have expectations for how that's going to go. They've got a performa on what they expect the cash flows to look like. And then you're a year or two in and the person that made the investment is seeing very little cash back. And that starts with questions. And then it goes from questions to accusations on a very personal nature. The person receiving the accusations uh, gets very defensive and is explaining that things have just been really tough in this economy and it's been different than they thought because of everything that's happened with interest rates. And then the other person uh, the other person begins to make accusations of embezzlement and the other person says, well, that's fine. Then you're not going to get a penny um, anytime soon if that's how you're going to... And it just goes all this point and now they're talking about uh, lawsuits. This one's talking about defamation. This one's... T- I mean, all, it goes on and on. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing that can happen. And again, this passage would say, hey, look, again, th- these are good questions and there needs to be accountability and there needs to be transparency. And if something's been embezzled, well, that's a different matter completely. Uh, we probably do need to go to court. There probably do need to be charges filed. Uh, but perhaps, is there anyone that can mediate this? Is there anyone among you that would be wise enough to get to the truth of it and calm all this stuff down, um, all the need to be right, someone that is objective, that isn't involved, that already feels aggrieved, is there someone that could possibly help us navigate it to help us understand one another? Is there anybody that could do this? And uh, again, um, it, it, there, there may, it may be hard uh, to do this because we are going to be change resistant. We've got our perspectives. We already view that other person in a certain way. Uh, but this is a, a way where we can serve one another is trying to de-escalate conflict and bring a certain amount of objectivity into our conflicts. And I just love this. I love the fact, I don't love the conflict, but I love the fact that the Bible enters into things like this, going, man, like the Bible talks about stuff like that, where relationships go sideways and things get sour. Yes, it gets that practical. Okay, so now uh, we're going to extend this. So um, grace is intended to change everything, and now we're going to see how it would even change like a laundry list of other things. It's almost like how I read this is that he's addressing something very specific, and then now he's going to say, hey, but there's other things that need to change, and other things that need to change, and he's going to end by saying a reminder of who it is that we are in Christ. So look at verse 9. Or do you not know 
that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's talking about the people that you're relying on to make judgments on y'all's dispute internally. Like they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because they don't believe in Jesus. That's the only way we're reconciled with God. Uh, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, and he, he hits a bunch of things here, the sexually immoral, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, none of those. It's interesting. Uh, none, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. No. So here's the thing. I want to look at all of this minute, this list first, just for a minute here. And um, so I think some of these things should cause us a little bit of concern here. Um, again, the temptation is going to be to focus on one word on this whole thing and go, yep. Uh, like say, for instance, the homosexuality one. Christians are, are known for this about really out of everything we see in this list, circling that one and going exactly, you know, uh, but look at all the things that are here. I mean, it's like, I mean, how many of us have this as part of our story? Um, like um, sexual morality, idolatry, um, adultery, um, homosexuality, theft, greed, um, overuse and, and wrong use of substances. That's being drunkard, um, like the party scene, the reviler. Um, swindling and someone that uh, does things that are not good business practices that are probably the thing that are leading up to these um, these lawsuits and um, so here, the thing this passage isn't saying that if you've ever done any of these things you're not going to heaven uh, because if that were true um, how you feeling right now um, I don't know I, I look around this room I know a lot of you and I'm like I don't know I don't think this is going to turn out well uh, for us and so this isn't saying uh, that if you've ever done any of these things that you know well that's uh, you know in fact even if you had a business dispute that's gone wrong. Well, tough luck, you know, that things have gone, gone bad and, and you're going to be on the outs here. What this is saying is, is not if you've ever done any of these things, but if your lifestyle is, uh, is characterized by some of these things, that if you tend to be a cheat in business, if you defraud people that may lead to someone, one of these conflicts, for instance, um, that, because I'm not suggesting at all, even on that first part of the conversations about lawsuits, that it's always 50-50. There could be someone that is absolutely defrauding, and that's why you need that other person to come in and mediate and even call them out on that. Uh, that, uh, that, that someone that's characterized by um, lack of integrity in business, someone that's characterized by a lack of faithfulness in marriage, um, someone that is characterized by, uh, by greed, um, and see, now all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I don't want to talk about that one, you know? Uh, someone like we're just money's on our mind all of the time. Someone that's characterized by these things, um, that, um, that it's, it's just raising a question. And what's the question? And I, th I think one of the questions could be, it could be that you're not a Christian. And that for 2,000 years, people can think that they're a Christian because they believe a couple of things about God and they're raised by parents who believed in Jesus and they've been around the church some, and of course I am. They've got a lifestyle that would say that their values are set on a different kingdom, namely their own, and we're living for self and things along these lines. Uh, but, uh, but the reality is that their lifestyle would, would, would betray the fact that Jesus is not their deepest love and value. And, um, and so it could be that you're not a Christian. And I'm hoping, this is a prayer of mine coming into this sermon today, is I'm hopeful that there'd be some of us that would even hear this passage and even see this list right here that was just thrown out here. Um, all, all, all of these things that are here, the sexual immorality and idolatry and um, you know, the lack of financial integrity and, and, and uh, misuse of substances, and some of these things may stand out to you and say, man, 
you've been around church and you've got church in your heart, but you don't have Jesus in your heart, you know? And then there needs to be a change here. And um, the grace of Jesus needs to transform you. Change is hard. You're going to be change resistant, even on things along these lines here, um, even a love of money. And, and he's wanting to get in there and he wants to be first. And he's never been first for you. And that might be one of the things that's happening is just a bucket of ice water in a good way, an awakening to be like, man, I need that kind of transforming grace. It's also possible that you could be a Christian and um, you are, but you're just living like someone that's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, that you continue in some of these patterns that are not part of your deepest identity in Jesus, but um, you're allowing yourself to get tipped over with, uh, with wrong sexual desires or uh, with a love for money or uh, with uh, dishonest business practices or um, the way that you talk. It could be a lot of different things like this. And again, change is hard, uh, but this, I'm hoping there would be a whole other set of us in here where God would say, hey, can we talk about this again? I know you've kind of wanted to move on and aren't wanting to deal with it, but we need to talk because you're, you're living like someone who has no destiny as a son and daughter of God uh, to judge the world and reign together with him and to inherit all that's Christ and the grace of Jesus, this new heavens and new earth. You're living like someone that doesn't share in that destiny right now. So what gives? And it's just a, another little gentle leaning in, maybe not very gentle, in fact, uh, just to say, hey, there needs to be significant life-altering repentance and a returning to the Lord right now. And just full stop, um, let's address that thing. If you need to get help for something, let's talk. Um, we can find resources um, to help walk with you in this. Now let's talk real quick um, about the homosexuality deal. It's mentioned in this passage, and I feel like we've got to address it as well. So um, there are many people that would say that the Bible actually doesn't um, say that homosexuality is wrong. And I'm always like so confused by this because you read this passage and it's just like really clear, you know, along with other things. Now, it's not the only thing. And again, this is where Christians haven't been super good on this topic where we can elevate it above all other things. Uh, but yet in this passage, it's so clear that sexuality is designed and we can combine this with other passages. Sexuality is designed for a man and woman in the covenant of marriage. And, um, and all, forms, all forms of homosexual practice are, are, are said to be in the Bible sinful and not according to God's design. And so I think that's really clear here in the scripture. I also want to say, while that's clear, I also want to say that in this room, here's what I know is true, is there's going to be some people in this room that have um, same-sex attraction, and um, have, like, maybe have never acted on it, but you do have some attraction to people of the same gender. Um, there's going to be some of us here um, also that have acted out on that. There's some of us in the past. There's some of us in here that are currently acting out on that. Um, others of us in here don't, but you've got like close family members. Um, you maybe have a, a child, a sibling, a parent, something along those lines that um, has a homosexual lifestyle. And so like this is very personal to you. I understand that. And I just want to say to you, number one, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Um, secondly, um, I don't think this issue is on a different order of everything else that's listed in this passage. Third, I want to say there's a spectrum. I already mentioned that spectrum of people in here, some that have acted on it, um, some that have not, um, some that are actively pushing back against it, some that aren't. I acknowledge that that spectrum exists in this room. Uh, but the last thing I want to say to you is that if you're like, man, but change is so hard on this. I don't, I don't know why would God ask me to change this? And I would just say, hey, look, I actually feel a lot of solidarity with you in this moment because he's asking me to change a lot of things too um, that I could struggle with on this 
this passage. That's not one that I struggle with, but there are several things on here uh, that I do. Sexual immorality in my thought life, uh, greed, a love of money, um, sometimes uh, a lot of things that aren't even in this passage that I can struggle with that God says, hey, let's talk about that. That needs to be submitted uh, to me. And so um, the Bible says that you are something much greater than your sexual orientation and uh, everything else, in fact. In fact, let's look at the last verse, uh, verse 11, to see um, what confronts everything, whether it's um, a dispute, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's greed, uh, whether it's pretty much anything at all, uh, drunkenness. Um, Here's verse 11. Here's rock solid truth to push back these tendencies. Here it is, verse 11. And such were some of you, that word were is key, but you were washed. That's Greek tense of the aorist, which means it was done. It was completed. You were washed. Um, You were sanctified. You were set apart as holy. You were. It's already been done. You were, again, aorist, past, done, justified. You were made right with God through Jesus in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so here's what's true of you. This is being written to Christians, is that yes, we've got our struggles. Yes, we've got our disputes. Um, Yes, we can get off track. We've got all of these things. Uh, Yeah, we can struggle with all that and more. Uh, But what's true is, is that we've been set apart by God. You've been justified. You've been made right. You've already been done. That's already what's true because of Jesus. Um, You've been, you've been washed. You've been made clean in spite of, uh, in spite of living in many of the ways um, that were being talked about. Such were some of us that, that for sure. And sometimes we've even continued to struggle with some of those old patterns. It's true, but we were sanctified. We were made holy uh, by the blood of Jesus. He has changed you. And so um, while it's true, some of these things are going to be really hard. It's hard to work through conflict. What God's saying is, yes, it's true. Change is hard. But here's what I want you to know. Here's who you are. Washed, loved, sanctified, set apart, made right with God. This is who you are at the deepest level. Let's walk in line with our deepest and truest self. Uh, We've been made right with God. This is our identity. And so now we can reapproach our sexuality, reapproach substances, reapproach business um, conflict um, and relationships that have gone, uh, gone south. We can reapproach these things with the grace of Jesus, um, and that's done. And I hope even this would be appealing if some of us have never given our lives to Jesus or we've been far from God for a long while, um, that there would even just be a calling home to repentance and um, forgiveness and even a uh, reconnection or a first-time connection with some of these truths here of what it would be like to be washed and set apart and made holy. Let me pray. Lord, would you, uh, would you make these things uh, felt by us even? And if there are some disputes and relationships that have gone, gotten real ugly, um, that, Lord, through your grace, that, um, that you would do a beautiful work of softening, maybe even raise up mediators in this room that wouldn't just add fuel to conflicts, but would actually seek to pull people together, that you would raise people up like that, and that we would, um, we would walk out our identity of who it is that we are washed, Um, sanctified, justified by Jesus that we can live this out in every single area of our life, our sexuality, our handling of money, our handling of business, our handling of relationships, our interaction with substances, all for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.